Hello, my friends. Mandy here with a quick invitation for you to join the Patreon for our show. We've recently switched up some of the benefits, including a new monthly workbook to go along with all the incredible content you're getting on the show. It's a quote yourself through grief kind of a vibe. And for only $10 a month, it is a wholly worthy and affordable way to invest in your own healing process without the commitment of a full coaching relationship. Learn more at patreon.com slash Mandy Capehart. And of course, the link is in the show notes. Thank you as always for being here. Now let's get into the good stuff. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 112, titled Red Flag Thoughts to Watch For in Grief. You know you are not your thoughts, but did you know your thoughts are not always telling you the whole truth? This week, we are exploring ways to distance ourselves from belief systems we carry in order to find our truest selves and understanding as we heal. This is a conversation about red flag thinking in grief and challenging those implicit narratives because we cannot always believe everything we think. One of my favorite things about being a grief educator is helping grievers overcome the myths and misunderstandings about their grief process. We all come into our grief with an idea of what to expect based on what we see in movies, hear from friends, or witness in the world around us. But what we observe is limited. As you know, grievers are hesitant to share their full experience with others. A fear of judgment or rejection can lead us to keeping the fullness of our hurt to ourselves, which, of course, then leads us to believe we're alone in all of our grief. But are we alone, or did we maybe create a scenario from our own expectations? This is one example of a cognitive distortion, which we've discussed many times on the show. So today we're not sticking with conversations about cognitive distortions. We are going after the platitudes and social norms that no longer serve us for healing. Listen when I say this, your brain is not broken. It is simply pushing stories and narratives forward that once offered a sense of safety. But things have changed now, and the safety once found in these thoughts or mindsets are not protecting us in the way we want anymore. So when we catch a thought, and we've talked about that before, we're not judging or condemning ourselves. We are not holding ourselves to unrealistic standards or blaming our inner voice for getting something wrong. We are simply addressing the implicit underlying beliefs we have held about grief and life and asking what might be possible if something else is true. A platitude is something we once believed as truth, but that no longer holds the same impact or value. When you think of platitudes, I'm sure there are a handful that immediately race to the front of your brain. For me, the loudest thoughts are everything happens for a reason and God would never give you more than you can handle. I remember the season of life in which both of these statements resonated, made sense, and felt like comfort. I even read a book recently where these were talking points author was trying to make. And I read them with a grain of salt because when I hear them now, they fall flat and often they bring extra pain along with them. So why is that? Am I calling my younger self naive? Did I believe whatever I was told because I was afraid to feel discomfort or push back at all? I could spend hours overthinking these platitudes and asking myself unanswerable questions. And honestly, I've put in my fair share of time doing just that. Now let's slow down for a moment. If that phrase offered safety, trust, patience, clarity, and rest, then how is it a platitude? How is it no longer meaningful? 
because all of those things are exactly what I want when I'm grieving. And taking that statement out of its own context, I can easily make the argument that it's not a platitude. But when I put it back into the cultural context it comes from, in this case, from evangelical Christianity, then I can recognize the subtext and determine if the implicit meaning of the platitude is as helpful as the explicit statement. The explicit is exactly what is said to me. Everything happens for a reason. The implicit meaning here is that greater powers are at play, causing situations to occur without my consent in order to fulfill someone else's plan or agenda. And that is the least comforting thing I can think of as a griever. If I choose to believe a platitude and bring it to my internal state, that is wholly my choice. My purpose here is not to shun or shame anyone who believes that everything happens for a reason. In fact, you will often hear me agree with this statement and then ask, what reasons do you find in this situation? When faced with a platitude from another person, I have learned to offer curiosity instead of judgment. I could easily judge their conclusions, stating that they're believing a lie and everything is chaos and life is pain, right? I could judge the context they're coming from, or I could hear them out and learn about their understanding of their own context and their thought process. This matters because you are the person making statements like these and often without curiosity. Our inner voices are well-trained with phrases, platitudes, and statements of protection that we repeat without consideration or curiosity. And when we repeat them often enough, they become the foundation or the root of our beliefs about grief and healing. When we choose to challenge our thoughts around grief, we are not just saying, hey, change your mind and change your life. I, I hate that phrase. What we are doing is identifying a thought that no longer helps us, and then we're going further to identifying the underlying belief behind the thought. When we see the belief for what it is, we can then decide if it aligns with our current self and core values, or if it's from an older version of us and deserves to be set free. See, the grief work you pursue cannot be built on a contradictory foundation. For example, if you're trying to recover from religious trauma, but are building your healing on a fatalistic belief system with no room for your own choices, consent, or self-determination, then what you build is ultimately going to circle back each time to the idea that no matter the choice you make, you're simply fulfilling a predestined purpose. On the other hand, if you are processing religious trauma, hear the phrase, everything happens for a reason, and ask yourself about possible reasons, you just may connect some dots and find a pathway to healing. What if the reason everything happened to you has nothing to do with the context of a loving God and everything to do with unhealthy, abusive leadership, right? The underlying belief you carry about yourself as valuable, autonomous, and free, or otherwise, is a belief you would need to wrestle with before deciding to embrace the everything happens thought or not. It needs to be your choice. Grievers deserve to recognize that our lack of control and influence over our external circumstances is not permanent, nor is the only response a positive attitude. Challenging the foundational narratives or underlying beliefs that we've believed about ourselves, our grief, and our future is an important place to start as it invites the griever to look internally to the spaces we can control, influence, and make adjustments. 
It is in challenging and rewriting our narratives and beliefs that we can uncover the hope we so desperately want and need for our healing. And we do not have to have a positive attitude about it to be a valid griever or believer or someone in pursuit of healing, right? Those messages of high vibes only or good vibes only allow us to bypass what hurts and what we really need to experience and metabolize and process through in order to see more clearly. So if you catch yourself in that thought process of, ooh, this vibe is not high enough, maybe pause there as well and and get a little bit curious. So recently I pulled my faithful Instagram followers and asked what kind of thoughts and unhelpful beliefs they would want to warn or give fellow grievers a heads up about. And there were some terrific responses. So what I would like to do is share those thoughts to be watchful of and offer a response that you might consider writing down if the initial thought is one familiar to you. Some of these will resonate immediately, and if that's the case, I would invite you to pause this episode and maybe reconsider what your own curious response could be toward these thoughts. So the first and most commonly shared response was this, you should be thankful for having loved in the first place. Immediately, we can recognize the should language that we've talked about before, which is a judgment of not good enough. So how might you offer yourself curiosity if this is a thought that surfaces? What is the underlying belief that supports this line of thinking? For me, the underlying belief is that I am ungrateful for the things I have, and that's why I've lost some of them. Someone I love dearly would say that this thought reminds them that they can be punished for poor behavior, even cosmically, and if they had more gratitude, they wouldn't be suffering. That thought of high vibes, right? It comes in here big and strong. The underlying belief that surfaces will always be a personal thing, so I can't tell you what your response is or should be, but I can tell you that when you identify the thought and the underlying belief, you'll feel it in your guts. It'll be one of those experiences of clarity that you've been waiting for in grief work. The underlying belief will make sense because it will connect some dots between the you of today and some past versions of yourself that also accepted these thoughts as valid. The second statement we're going to address is this one. Why is grieving taking you so long? Again, we can see the should language, even though it's a little more subtle. You should feel better by now. What curiosity can you offer yourself here, especially if this is your own thought? And what might the underlying belief that supports this type of thought be? Here is another particularly cruel but common response. It says, if you really loved them, you wouldn't be so happy all the time because you'd be keeping them in mind. Honestly, I remember wrestling with this one after someone I loved from my church community died. What's the curiosity you can offer yourself about happiness here? What might the underlying belief about happiness or your grief experience or you as a person be here? The should language is really sneaky with this one, but it is present nonetheless. You should be a better griever by meeting my expectations of what grief should look like. Curiosity allows us to ask the question about what we expect of our own grief experience and perhaps to redefine our belief about what grief requires of us. Your underlying beliefs are impacting the way you think and grieve, of course, but without attending those beliefs consistently, we can get mixed up and in the mud on what we want 
from those beliefs in the first place. You see, we carry a set of beliefs because they help us to navigate life. But when they stop being helpful, we have the opportunity to engage with ourselves in a new way. And there is no shame or should in that. Change is not the enemy we've been warned about. Change is the natural progression of all things, which is why grief literacy and intentional grief work are so meaningful. As you continue noticing and challenging red flag thoughts, remember that you can normalize changing your beliefs and opinions when you learn new information. If your old belief structure can no longer withstand the pressure of your grief, learn something new about grief. See what foundational truths can withstand, and even though grief work stirs up secondary losses along the way, trust that you will find healing on the path for those as well. Thank you for listening to episode 112 of Restorative Grief. The more time we spend offering ourselves a fresh chance to believe better for ourselves and our grief, the more intentional our grief work becomes. And intentional grief work is how we move the needle toward healing for ourselves. And that's the whole point of doing this work. It's not to forget. It's never to move on. It is to deepen our connection to ourselves, our loved ones, and to learn more about the complexity of who we are, what we need, and how we can live fully alive. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I want to thank you for being here and hope you found something helpful in this quick chat on challenging our thoughts and underlying beliefs. It's so fascinating to me to witness what shakes loose when I begin to challenge my automatic thoughts because curiosity is a powerful tool for healing. I hope you'll subscribe to the show. And if you're interested in the workbook I mentioned earlier, you can become a patron of the show for access to every available workbook, or you can snag a copy of this month's for a standalone as well. The links for Patreon and my website are in the show notes, and you can always reach out to me on social media under at Mandy K part, because I love connecting with listeners and hearing what serves and what you might want more of too. Be gentle with yourself this month since we're fresh into the holidays and things can get a little sticky this time of year, whether you're grieving or not. And as always, one last thing. Please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.